hello all you bookworms and welcome to Oh for the Love of Books, a show that gives you a bit of narration from the books I read or ones you suggest for me to read on my show. I'm your host, Jessica Vickery, and thank you for joining me on this journey. A good friend of mine suggested I pick up this book and give it a go, so I did. It's called Untruthful Speech by Ron Cisneros and Michael Padgett. Well, let me tell you, it was very intriguing and thought-provoking. Authors Ron Cisneros and Michael Padgett introduced us to Nick Grigo, an anguished young man struggling with the loss of his brother, Stephen, to leukemia. Nick's anger with Stephen's death drives him to become a staunch and vocal advocate against institutional pharma and traditional cancer research. Eventually burning out, Nick decides to take a break from his life in the States to volunteer as a teacher's assistant in Bangkok, Thailand, where he is recruited by a cunning Mossad agent, Talia Levy, who has been monitoring his advocating activities. Talia invites Nick to join her in a made-up group advocating for the same things Nick is impassioned about. Unbeknownst to Nick, His decision will eventually entangle him in a race to keep a significant new medical discovery out of the wrong hands. The story's cast includes the CIA, a spy cell being run out of a restaurant in Bar Harbor, a freelance spy from Hong Kong, an ex-CIA operative in Shanghai, loyal only to himself, and a hitman from Argentina and an incredibly helpful rat. Nick embarks on a mission assigned by Talia to monitor the progression of the research being led by Ellie Brunetta, a biochemist with a secret past who has developed a genetically engineered coronavirus super vaccine based on new medical technology called CRISPR. Nick takes a job with Ellie's husband, Nigel Shackelford, an ex-MI6 agent, now a lobster boat captain, turned smuggler. Although Ellie's development of intelligent CRISPR, or iCRISPR, was meant to significantly curtail the threat of pandemics and treat cancer in ways unimaginable, the world's dark side wants it badly. They're willing to kill for it when they discover iCRISPR can be used as a weapon to stop created or natural viruses from spreading in one location while letting it expand in others. The story is a global adventure of espionage taken out of today's headlines, with Bar Harbor, Maine, Bangkok, Thailand, and Shanghai, China as the backdrops. Untruthful Speech is a remarkable thriller. A group of extraordinary individuals embark on a deadly adventure searching for a stolen formula that can permanently alter the power structure of the world, leaving death and destruction in its wake. Let's get into the first three chapters of part one. Part one, the package. Chapter one, May 2019, Massachusetts. Mac inhaled the warm outside air his nose filled with the smell of spring. 
He exhaled with relief and was happy to see how easy it was to breathe after his battle with the late spring flu. He sat on his back porch, excited to see new blades of grass popping out of the topsoil of his freshly seeded lawn. It was an encouraging sight to see the final stages of the newly constructed home come together. The couple would soon be entertaining family and friends to enjoy the new pool during the hot summer months. Matt Grigo taught at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, classes in business and accounting, while Stephanie, his wife, owned and managed a coffee house. The establishment was a local place where the college students frequently hung out and studied. The coffee was fresh and the Wi-Fi was fast. Mac and Stephanie's backgrounds were as different as Rush Limbo and Morning Joe. But as husband and wife, they fit like a single barrel bourbon and a drop of water. How they met would be a story apt to grow in drama as they got older. Like how a fish gets bigger upon each rendition of the catch that got away. Stephanie was raised and born in Needham Heights, a suburb of Boston. She was from an upper-middle-class Catholic family. Her father worked for General Electric as a corporate compliance attorney. Her mother was a stay-at-home mom, raising four children and devoted to her church. They attended St. Joseph Parish, which managed to slip by all the abuse scandals targeted at so many Boston Catholic churches. Stephanie had a good childhood and was close to her two brothers and one sister. After school, she was accepted to the Northeast University School of Law, and after passing the bar exam, took a job as a public defender in Boston. Unlike Stephanie, Mac often moved due to his father's military career until the family retired in Austin, Texas, when he was in middle school. Mac was happy with the stability and became a high school football star, which provided him an athletic scholarship at the University of Texas. He knew football would not be his career. He was good, but not NFL material. He focused on his education, graduated, and decided to stay and finish his MBA at the University of Texas. After receiving his MBA, Mac found himself wanting to teach as a career but wanted out of Texas. Although Austin was as liberal as Texas gets, overall the state was very conservative, as were his parents. Mac was eager to leave the state and seek out more liberal-minded people. After Mac's graduation, Randy, a close college friend who was aware of Mac's plan to relocate, invited him to Massachusetts, which had a political climate more suited to Mac. Upon arriving in Boston late in the day, Mac and Randy set out to spend the evening having a good time at some local bars. Walking out of the last bar before heading home, they both witnessed an assault taking place in the parking lot. Mac, a little drunk, still thinking he was a running back, shouted, Hey! The assailant ran off with Mac giving chase, while Randy attended to the victim. Mac still had his playing speed and caught up to the man quickly. The adrenaline was pumping hard, and Mac knew this would be an easy tackle. What he wasn't expecting was the assailant deciding it was fighting time. He quickly turned around to confront Mac, and he pulled a gun out of the front of his pants. 
Mac didn't have but a second to decide. He didn't break stride, driving a shoulder into the perpetrator's stomach, wrapping his arms around his waist, and throwing him onto the ground. The gun went off. For just a moment, Mac figured he or the guy on the ground had been shot. Fortunately, the bullet ended up in the brick facade on the building across the street. Once he gathered his senses, Mac kicked the gun out of the way. Looking down, he realized he was staring into the eyes of a teenage boy. Let me go, motherfucker, the young assailant shouted. Randy, finally making his way to Mac and confused by what he just witnessed, asked, What the hell were you thinking, Mac? This kid had a gun. Hey, I didn't know until he turned around. I had to take my chances and go for the tackle. If I had slowed down, he would have shot me. Something took over. Dude, I think it was stupidity, but I have to tell you that it's about the most fucked up, crazy-ass shit I've ever seen. I didn't know you had it in you. You've always been such a pacifist. Neither did I. I just chased down and tackled a guy with a gun pointed at me. I hope I never have to do that again. Buddy, a word from the wise. You don't chase guys down here and not expect to get shot. Boston isn't artsy-fartsy Austin. The police arrived and took the teenager away. Both Mac and Randy gave their statements and contact information. Several months passed. Mac took a job at a local accounting firm while working on his Ph.D., part-time at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. He and Randy remained friends, but it wasn't easy to get together with their busy schedules. A few months after the assault, Mac received a call from Randy, asking him if he received his notice of arraignment. Mac checked his emails and saw his notice was there. They agreed they'd like to be there and meet at the courthouse on the arraignment day. The court day had arrived and both Mac and Randy sat quietly near the back. All rise, the bailiff shouted. The judge entered the courtroom and heard the charges from the bailiff. She then turned to the defense attorney and asked how her client pled. Not guilty, Stephanie answered in a confident voice. Neither Mac nor Stephanie could tell you today if that was an accurate rendition of what happened but it was their story of how they met each other. Chapter 2 Mac and Stephanie eventually married and had two sons. Their eldest, Stephen, died three years earlier from acute myeloid leukemia. It was a deadly form of the disease caused by an uncommon chromosomal abnormality he carried. He lived only six months from his diagnosis a painful and dire time for the entire family. For some time, the suddenness of Stephen's death created a world covered by a veil of grief for the family, rarely allowing them a glimpse of a normal life. It felt like a nightmare that might never end. Stephen's death more severely impacted Nick, who was three years younger and a senior in high school. Nick missed his big brother terribly. Stephen wasn't just a brother, but his best friend, mentor, the one always there to take care of a bully, teach him the finer points of sports and girls, buy him a beer, or take the blame for something stupid he had done. Before the cancer, 
Nick had been a top-level student and planned on a medical career, just like Stephen. The death soured him on that idea. His feelings for the medical establishment and big pharma had changed significantly. He viewed them, rightly or wrongly, as a supporting factor in his brother's death, not from direct action, but their inaction. He saw them as not interested in finding a cure, but only making additional profits from marginal improvements. Nick decided some time away was needed to reflect on his feelings and his future. He would make his final decision at the end of the school year regarding the direction in life he would be taking for the short term, despite already being accepted at UMass. Until his pending graduation, Nick also decided he would do whatever possible to make sure no one's brother, sister, mom, or dad would ever die the brutal death Stephen did. No one deserved that ending. Nick became a voracious reader of medical journals, blogs, Facebook group dialogues, and advocate sites. He found a tremendous amount of research was taking place, but most of it was into treatments to prolong lives or replace other medications that stopped working. In many cases, prolonging meant only a few extra months of life. And in a majority of those cases, they were months of extended suffering only. The cost of the added time could also be so expensive it would bankrupt the families. Ultimately, he concluded politics and money were the drivers of drug creation and lack of actual cures. This belief fueled his rage and his opinion Stephen's death wasn't necessary. Nick quickly became a determined patient advocate himself. He was aggressive and angry, creating personal blogs and social outreach pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all the other relevant social networks he could find. Nick advocated relentlessly until after his high school graduation. By that time, he was burnt out and needed to get away from it all. He eventually decided to volunteer with the International Volunteer Programs Association, IVPA, Maybe taking a year or two off could help him get his head together. The IVPA had a great teacher's assistant program in Bangkok. He was confident time in Thailand would take the edge off his anger and help guide him back to some normalcy. All he had to do now is tell his parents he applied. Chapter 3 May 2018, Boston Nick heard a light tapping on the bedroom door. He was not in the mood for company after a heated fight with his mother about his plan to enter the IVPA. Nick, can I come in? It's Dad. The gentle voice on the other side whispered. Yeah, Dad, come in. You okay? Dad, why doesn't Mom understand me wanting to take a break from school, this city? You did the same thing back in Texas. I didn't take a break from college. I took a break from my dad and Texas. Nick was keenly aware of the conflict between his dad and Gramps. Gramps? He wasn't so bad. He taught Steve and me to shoot. He took us camping and fishing. You know, survival skills. Starting to become annoyed, Max said. I'm sure he also told you his war stories about his time in Vietnam 
killing innocent civilians, too. Dad, Gramps never told us stories of killing anyone, and I'm not joining the IVPA to kill anyone. I need to do this. I know you and Mum lost a son. I lost a brother. I think Stephen would be proud of my choice. I wish you and Mum would feel the same. Mac was conflicted about his relationship with his dad, who was the son of an immigrant who left Mexico to live the American dream by working in Utah's copper mines. His grandfather wanted to do what most immigrants at the time saw as the American dream, provide his family with the opportunities they would never enjoy in Mexico. He and his wife raised a large family in a small town named Coppertown. Jose, one of their children, was Mac's dad. He joined the army after high school and spent four years in Korea. After his commitment to the army ended, Jose enrolled in college under the GI Bill and graduated with his bachelor's degree. It was while in college he met and married Mac's mother, who was Irish-American. Jose then enlisted in the Navy as an officer and later became a Navy SEAL fighting in Vietnam. Mac and his father never really saw eye to eye about any war, and Jose didn't comprehend why his son couldn't understand guns and power saved the world from tyranny in World War II and would continue to protect the world from communism. Their beliefs eventually separated them. Mac chose a different route than his father's and understood his son needed to do the same. Nick did see his grandfather in a different light. Maybe it was because when Gramps lost his relationship with his son, he focused on being present for his grandkids. He and Stephen got to spend summers with Gramps in Texas. Grandma Grigo died when they were young, so it was just the three of them hunting and fishing or doing whatever the hell they wanted. Mac would have killed Gramps if he knew all they did, including their first beer. Nick felt Gramps's heart was in the right place, serving his country, protecting American lives. Gramps wasn't a replacement for his dad, but both Steve and he had a great relationship with him they cherished. Sadly, they lost him when Nick was entering high school and Steve was graduating. Son. I understand what you are feeling, and you need to take the time to discover what you think you're supposed to do. Understand your mother and I are worried and fearful of something bad happening to you. It has only been eight months since we lost Stephen. We don't want to lose you, too. Just give your mom some time. She'll come around. Mac at this moment was feeling a little closer to his father. Nick sat in his room and reread the letter from the IVPA. You've been accepted to the International Volunteer Programs Association, IVPA, Cross-Cultural Solutions, Thailand. He didn't realize at that moment of clarity, God might be laughing at his plan-making. February 2019, Boston. Nine months later, Nick's plane landed in Boston. His two-year commitment with IVPA had been cut short by circumstances he would soon sort out. Mac and Stephanie were at the airport to greet him and take him home. They weren't sure why things had changed so much with Nick's plans and didn't understand much of what Nick had done during his time abroad. 
All they knew was when Nick completed his shortened first assignment with the IVPA, he told them he had earned enough money to supplement a backpacking trip across Europe and Asia for another six to eight months. He planned to pick up odd jobs to fill in his monetary needs along the way. When Nick returned, all they could get from him was just traveling and learning. The only other information they had were photos he occasionally emailed to them while on his adventures. Mac and Stephanie immediately saw a change in their son, both physically and mentally. His physique had transformed into that of an athlete, and he projected a tough demeanor. Very unlike the grieved high school graduate who left nine months earlier. They didn't know what to make of it, or if they liked it. When they arrived at the house, Nick immediately told his parents he needed more time before going back to school. He told them he had always wanted to work on a lobster boat and could use the extra cash. Matt questioned Nick's decision, but realized he couldn't change his son's mind. He understood the experience would be useful to him. Despite his mother's objections, Nick let her know the decision and plans were already in place. He would be leaving in a week for his new job on a lobster boat named the Serendipity in Bar Harbor. Well, that was nice insight to some of the characters. I'm a mother of two, and a parent's worst nightmare is losing a child. My heart hurts for them. Then Nick leaves to volunteer in Thailand. That's a hard decision on both ends so soon after losing Stephen. What has changed Nick so much? I understand trying to find your place, and I hope Nick can do that in the next few chapters. So let's see what's in store next week. Well, that concludes my episode for today. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to me talk. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like my podcast, please subscribe to my show or send me an email to justvicvoice at outlook.com. That's J-E-S-S-V-I-C-V-O-I-C-E at outlook.com with suggestions of books for me to read on the show. Thank you again, and please join me next week on Oh for the Love of Books. And as always, dream big and keep reading.